Hi, this is Dave Vanderveen, and you're listening to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. This is uh, this is episode six, uh, season one, and this one is going to be um, a little segue. I'm going to talk about interior work, and what I mean by interior work um, is is how we develop ourselves within. I had a really interesting uh, dialogue with uh, another. <laughs> seems to have a lot of Wheaton friends jumping in lately, but. Um, with another Wheaton friend who asked me about uh, one of the questions that um, that Steve Snezek had sent me that I didn't address, and uh, he asked me if I would maybe get into that a little bit. And uh, I'm going to see him later today. His name's Stephen Marty, Steve Marty, or we just call him Marty. And he lives in Colorado and uh, uh, is out here for a conference. So um, before I get into it, I want to just... Uh, Again, put a big disclaimer out that you know this podcast is not prescriptive. What I'm not trying to do is tell you how to live your life uh, or tell you to do what I did or what somebody else is doing. I'm trying to give people ideas about how to break through barriers in their own life by using examples, um, real examples from my own life and from, from other people's lives, shared conversations I'm having, interviews. Uh, that hopefully help people move forward and get to where they want to be. Um, I just did a live FaceTime. If you check out my Facebook, you can see the recording there, uh, David Vanderveen on Facebook. But um, I did a, an interview with, a, with one of our distributors yesterday where we talked a lot about uh, these, these sorts of things. And, um, you know, in, in particular, I talked about how we need to, as people, and I've talked about this in earlier podcasts, you know, constantly come back to this Venn diagram that Jim Collins talks about, of what are you passionate about? What can you be best in the world at? And where can you make money? Where those three things intersect, that's where you need to focus your time. And finding that is very hard. You know, um, I've been accused of jumping around a lot in my career. Uh, done very well. I've leapfrogged, actually, um, from, you know, uh, from position uh, to position at different companies. And, and uh, you know, I was a senior vice president of sales and marketing at a large startup by the time I was in my late 20s. Um, I was uh, I turned down a vice presidency at the second largest software company in the world to do that. Um, I am, um, you know, I was a CTO by the time I was just turning 30. And, uh, and then by the time, um, you know, by the time, uh, uh, I was in my early 30s. I was a chief operating officer and director at a small public company. It just, you know, and the reason I was able to do those things was because I was constantly, in one way you could say I was jumping around. The other way you could look at it is you could say, well, you were actually, you know, leapfrogging um, rather than trying to to move in a in a you know serial trajectory, you know, one step in front of the other. Uh, sometimes if you can move laterally, you can actually get further ahead. And um, so. You know, that's a little bit, uh, I guess that's a little abstract, but the idea is pretty simple that whatever it is you're trying to accomplish in your life, I think it's really important you write it down. I think it's really important that you actually try a number of things to see what you like and what you don't like, and that you adjust and you figure out what your best life is going to be. So um, today I'm going to be talking about interior life. Uh, specifically, I'm going to read some a uh, little bit of a uh, interchange I had with Steve Marty. And then, um, uh, you know, then I'll get into kind of my own stories. So in the first episode, I read some questions that a college friend, Steve Snezek, sent me a few years ago about my own processes. How did I do it? One of the series of those questions that Steve asked was about prayer. I hadn't got to those questions yet. I, you know, I, I can't answer all of it. I'm trying to break it down and actually go deep on some of this stuff. Um, 
And so then another friend also from Wheaton, getting the Wheaton connections going here, Steve Marty sent me a note. Um, Marty says, Snez asked the question of basically what do you pray about and how do you know the answer? You briefly touched on intentional listening as it relates to relationships and your business partners. To me, this is a lost art in conversation. We are so interested in saying our two cents that we really don't hear what's being said. I call it the lost art of reflective listening. It's the same way when we pray about things. Do we really stop and listen for an answer or do we just ask for things, <laughs> wisdom, guidance, etc. then immediately move into the next thing on our list. I have lots to say about this qu- prayer, quiet time, refl- re- reflective listening. I hope it gets revisited in a future podcast. So today we are. Um, and, and, you know, so, so I kind of responded to Steve. Um, I said, thanks for reminding me about this. Um, I said, uh, you know, I asked him about some of his practices and I said, uh, I have a variety of practices I've, and I've neglected them. And also modify them at different points in my life. Um, when I was getting shelled in a foxhole in business and didn't know how to pay the bills of the young family versus now when th- things are kind of easier financially. Um, but the challenges can be much more complicated as kids grow up and, and things we have to manage are more expansive. Um, you know, life is just, we've got more moving parts in our life today. Um, I said, so, you know, Steve has gone through addiction. He's come out on the other side of that and he's doing very, very well. Uh, but I said, I'd like to hear how he's done it going through addiction. Cause I think you need different tools when you're in different parts of your life and, um, and how your prayer and relationship with God, Jesus, the Holy spirit, et cetera, spoke to you. And then, um, and I asked him what's okay to share and what's not. I think he's, he's pretty public with, uh, overcoming his addiction and, and the life he's living now and, and how he's, he's broken through some huge barriers in his life. So, um, I'm going to try and do an interview with him later tonight. We'll see how that goes and, uh, and release that later. Cause I think, um, this is a very interesting, uh, way of, of approaching breaking through barriers, particularly when it deals with addiction and, and, um, real physical barriers in our, in our lives. And, and having a guy like Steve tell his story. But, um, but right now what I thought I'd do is kind of get into um, some of my own stuff. Actually, um, he said, um, uh, he just said, as far as his prayer life, let me just, actually, I will read some of the stuff that Steve said. He says, as far as his prayer life is concerned, I think of it as an ongoing conversation with God. It doesn't need to be a prayer in the morning saying, amen, then you're good for the day. I believe God wants more than anything to have a relationship with us. And, uh, and to have a relationship with somebody, you have to communicate. Um, I have an ongoing with conversation with God throughout the whole day. I talked to him about anything and everything. Um, and he said, you know, uh, even something as simple as, man, this taco smells great. Thanks for giving us tacos, God. And I really like that. Um, I like the idea of having these, these conversations with God, with the universe in your head um, all the time and really kind of living your life, living your, your every breath as a prayer, uh, as a prayer that you're thankful. Hopefully it gives you empathy for other people you're meeting, especially when we're frustrated. Um, and uh, anyways, he, he kind of left it there. And, and he said, uh, oh, he did say, I think God answers our prayers in four different ways. One, yes. Two, no. Three, not right now. And four, you have to be kidding me. Like when you pray to win the lottery. I think we receive the answers. God's speaking to us in a couple different ways through reading the Bible or impressions he leaves on our mind, counsel from others. And, um, and then he said he kind of was going to leave it there. So I'm going to leave Steve's conversation there. We're going to come back to him. Hopefully we'll do an interview with him. And, uh, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to dictate that you pray to a specific God or a specific way. Um, you know, different people are listening to this from all over the world and, and, and different people have different definitions of what this, this 
creative power in the universe is, who it is. Um, I happen to think it's personal. I happen to think it's a Judeo-Christian God. That's how I was raised. But I also have a lot of respect for people who see the world differently and have different names and different experiences with that power. And so um, maybe I could tell a couple quick stories about the practices that I've had that have, that have worked for me, some of the strange experiences that I've had and kind of what I'm doing now. And then um, we'll, we'll see where this takes us with Steve Marty. Um, because for me, it started out, you know, I was raised in a conservative Christian home, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, you know, I, I haven't stayed in that place. I've, I would feel like I've progressed past that. It doesn't make it good or bad. It's just the movement of my life has taken me, um, you know, in a different, in a different direction. I haven't left it. Uh, but that's kind of the foundation where I started. And I think that I've added things to that in my life now that have, um, that have created better tools for the places that I'm, that I'm at currently. Um, so for me, um, when I was dealing with different, you know, high stress points, one was, um, after college, I had had a, uh, a breakup with a girlfriend. She broke up with me. Uh, and I was really, uh, it was, it was not a high point in my life. I was very depressed. And, um, and I remember I, w- I was praying and I, and I prayed to God and I said, God, would you just send me somebody like my sister? I have a sister, Sarah, really good friend of mine. We did all kinds of stuff together growing up. Lots of, uh, we played soccer. She was an all American soccer player. I wasn't, but we played a lot of soccer. We just did all, we, partied together, had tons of fun. Uh, she was like one of my best friends growing up. And, uh, and when I got kicked out of Wheaton and went to Calvin, she was at Calvin. So I was spending some time, you know, hanging out with her and her friends again. And, and I was like, man, why can't I have a wife that's like my sister? Obviously not my sister. I don't want to date my sister, but, um, and I wasn't even asking for a wife. I was just asking for like, you know, a person in my life that would be like my sister, but that I could, you know, have a romantic relationship with. And, um, so anyways, um, I invited my sister to go to this pageant, a Christmas pageant. And she said, yeah, I'd like to go. She goes, can you get another ticket? I'd like to bring somebody. And I was like, sure. So, um, I got an extra ticket and she brings her friend, Sarah. And, uh, I barely remember that this Sarah was even there because I was so in my own, you know, head with the, with the depression stuff. But then I bumped into this, um, woman, Sarah, uh, at a a lecture series at Calvin, uh, about a month later in January. And, um, I was with my cousin, John Vanderveen, who's a little bit older than my dad. Um, I used to race sailboats with him and Sarah comes up to me, this, this, you know, the woman, my sister had brought, and she had this great blue uh, wool coat on, blue wool hat. She had gotten. She'd been just gotten back from the, from going to a semester in the, at the Sorbonne or a year at the Sorbonne. I can't remember, but she was in Paris, you know, studying, and she had just gotten back. And uh, she said, "Hey, it was it's good to see you. Would you and your sister like to come over for dinner?" And, uh, and I was going, "Man, she's cute. How did I miss that one?" And I was like, "Yeah, that'd be great." So. Um, in fact, it was funny because when she was asking, I looked at my cousin, John, who's, you know, quite a bit older than me, almost, you know, he's probably 40 years older than me at the time. He's passed away since then. But he, he, he kind of looked at me like, yeah, the answer is yes, unless you're stupid, you know. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. And, and that kicked off a relationship with Sarah Elizabeth Copes, who later, you know, we started dating and then she became my wife. Now she's Sarah Copes Vanderveen. But I think it was funny that, you know, just 
putting that out into the universe, putting that into God's lap, as it were, saying, God, hey, look, here's what I'd actually like. Somebody that's like my sister, but obviously that I'm not related to, that I can have a relationship with. And, and boom, like I got somebody with her exact name. That's how crazy, you know, I I think some of this can be when you, when you ask and then you wait and you listen. And I think for me, you know, um, part of what I've learned over time is, is, you know, if you, let's say you come from a Judeo-Christian background and you believe that there is, that God is sovereign, that there is this God that is kind of all powerful, or like maybe you just believe the universe is sovereign, that it is moving in direction, in, in a direction, it is, you know, exploded from the singularity, we're on a planet moving at 70,000 miles an hour in, in that direction, and there's probably nothing that you or I are going to do to stop that. Um, if you're smart, you start looking for ways to participate in it, take advantage of it. It, leverage it, wrestle with it, dance with it. And, um, and so for me, uh, I, I like, I've said, I said on Pete Holmes podcast, uh, he has a Pete Holmes is a friend of mine. He has a podcast called, uh, you made it weird. I did an interview with him and, uh, I said, you know, it's funny how people say that they believe in the sovereignty of God, but nobody acts like it. Like, you know, we all, we run around freaking out about what's going to happen you know, there's all this anxiety and, 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 uh, you know, difficulty when in fact we probably ought to just, you know, pray about it, row toward, you know, row toward shore, but pray to God, but row toward shore. And, um, and also, you know, listen, wait, let God t- show you kind of, or let the universe show you what the next step is sometimes uh, rather than try and force things. Uh, that's always worked for me. You know, work really hard, open up opportunities, create doors that you can open. And then following that, um, you know, also wait and listen and watch and say, which of these is actually going to take me in the direction that I want my life to go or that I think my life sh- should go. And sometimes that will really surprise you. Um, there was, when we were up in the Napa Valley, we lived up there for eight years. Um, there was a little church we went to in St. Helena called Grace Episcopal. And they did this thing called Curcio, which is a, a weekend, um, kind of a spiritual awakening, a short course in Christianity. And they have all these surprising experiences that happen at a Curcio. Um, and so you, you, you go to this retreat center and you're there for the weekend and there's all this strange stuff that happens. And, and I remember the thing that surprised me the most was the way that, you know, you have these little revelations and sometimes you're not expecting them. I was in a, there, we have these small groups we would break up into, they call them royos, like little rivers. And, um, I was in this royo, and there was a guy in my royo who was, uh, I would consider kind of unchurched. He didn't grow up in the church. He'd been raised sort of Roman Catholic and then left it. And then he said, this is what I thought was really inspiring to me. This is this tells you that, in my opinion, there, there must be a sovereign God. <laughs> I'm not trying to prove it, but um, because the guy said to me, he was like, yeah, you know, I figured we should go to church because I had a kid and, you know, he's, he thought, you know, that it'd be good for the kids to be in Sunday school. He goes, he goes like kids need, need church. He goes, the adults need it more than the kids do. But he said that, you know, so, so I thought we'd, we'd get the family going to church again. So they started going to this church and he wasn't really sure if it was for him. Uh, and he joined the church softball team and he goes, you know, I was just like, man, I just don't know if I can hang with a bunch of Christians. You know, they're always so self-righteous. And he said he was playing, he was playing softball and somebody dropped a fly ball and we just said, fuck. And, uh, and, and he goes, he goes, that was the point where I realized I can do this. This group of people could be for me. 
And, um, and I thought that was so like kind of amazing that, you know, this vulgarity that obviously, you know, you know, probably in polite circles, we try not to use words like that. But the fact that, that, you know, that God could use that to open somebody's heart to say, Hey, you know what, this group of people could be for me. I thought that was really profound. And I think, I think, you know, it's that, it's that being a, open and available and listening and watching and putting yourself in situations that maybe don't always feel comfortable, but allowing yourself to listen to the other, to be available to the other, as Gabriel Marcel, the great existential philosopher talks about, being available allows you to to have these experiences and see things through a different light, to have empathy for somebody else. Um, there was a point in life when I was getting really shelled, when, you know, we're in the middle of a turnaround, I didn't know... Um, uh, what was going to happen next? This happened to me twice. Uh, once when I was at a, a large startup in Seattle where the founder uh, started uh, embezzling money. And, we, you know, I was a CTO. The CEO didn't know about this. And then our offices even uh, eventually got got shut down by the FTC because of the, the depth of the scandal. Um, and so I was at a point where I was like, man, what am I supposed to do next? That's, that's where a friend of mine at church actually connected me with, with Jim Collins via email. And I got that Venn diagram of the three circles, which didn't solve, didn't give me an answer, but it gave me a process to start working through the, to, towards an answer. The answers, you know, never come easy. There is no simple solution. It takes a lot of complicated work to find a complicated answer and to get to simpler solutions in our lives. But, um, I, w- I remember I was at this point where what I would do every morning is I would just get up in the morning and I would read. Um, I was reading at that time Oswald Chambers' uh, "My Utmost for His Highest," which is a great, very reflective um, daily devotional uh, that just helps you think. He, he writes very short, dense, uh, th- basically um, uh, you know morning devotions. So I would read that and then I would think about it and then I would pray about it. And I would reflect on it. And it really kind of got me into this mode of, of almost a meditation, or I guess it kind of was a meditation. But one of the things that I would do is I would get on my hands and knees, because I think the physical act ties to the way that our, our brains work sometimes. And, and I would do this prayer where I would say, um, it comes out of Revelation where these cherubim and seraphim are doing this to God every day. And I would say, to you belongs all glory, honor, and power, uh, God. Um, and, uh, you know, because you have created the universe and everything uh, good comes from you. I'm paraphrasing. I'm not saying exactly uh, how it's written in Revelation because I'm trying to remember it as I'm reading some of this stuff. But um, to you belongs all glory, honor, and power, for you've created all things. And by your will was everything created that has its being is the very simple prayer. And I would repeat that over and over like a mantra. And what it did is it is it forced me to to acknowledge and accept and repeat and remember and hopefully believe that there is this sovereign God, there is this power in the universe that deeply wants us to succeed if we will submit to that power and if we will wrestle with it and dance with it and figure out how we can participate in the work that it's doing. Uh, my dad likes to say he's in a, a church choir and he said, you know, at the church choir, a lot of times people are, you know, they have all these prayer requests. And he, he said, you know, no one ever, no one ever, very, very rarely do you, do people ask for wisdom. Very rarely do people ask for the ability to listen and to hear. He said, it's almost like people think God is Santa Claus. And I think that's where, you know, Christianity can get a bad rap. Um, one of the, the devotionals that I love, it's called A Guide to Prayer, um, is uh, has a lot of different uh, devotionals in it. 
Um, but one of the things I love that it, that uh, one of my favorite ones is on a page 194, and this is from uh, this is an excerpt from Carlo Caretto uh, from the God Who Comes, and and he says catechism is not enough, theology is not enough, formulas are not enough to explain the unity and Trinity of God. We need loving communication. We need the presence of the Spirit. That is why I do not believe in theologians who do not pray, who are not in humble communication of love with God. Neither do I believe in the existence of any human power to pass an authentic knowledge of God on. Only God can speak about himself. Only the Holy Spirit, who is love, can communicate this knowledge to us. When there is a crisis of church, it is always here, a crisis of contemplation. Um, the church wants to be able to explain about her spouse even when she has lost sight of him. Even when, even although she has not been divorced, she no longer knows his embrace because curiosity has gotten the better of her and she has gone searching for other people and other things. The revelation of a triune God and the unity of a single nature, the revelation of a Holy Spirit present in us is not on the human level, does not belong to the realm of reason. It is a personal communication with God alone, which only God can give. And the task of giving it belongs to the Holy Spirit, who is the same love which unites the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is the fullness and joy of God. It is so difficult to speak of these things. We have to babble like children, but at least like children, we can say over and over again, tirelessly, Spirit of God, reveal yourself to me, your child. And I think there's different ways to do that. So you don't, you know, um, I am a big believer that uh, that this this singularity that exploded, that created the universe, imprinted itself on everything. It's it's physically there. We are all made from stardust. We are all um, have impregnated on us this creation, this explosion, this singularity that that was infinitely dense and infinitely small. And has created all of this expansion that we're now participating in. We are so lucky to be here. Um, and so when, when we think about that, I think for me, um, you know, part of it has been, okay, I was born into these constructs. I was born into a Dutch Christian Reformed tradition. I, you know, my, my religious tradition is so specific, it's even tied to an, a nationality, <laughs> to my DNA. Um, and it, and when, you're, when you're raised in it, I think particularly people who were born into it in, for example, West Michigan and, and were never able to step outside of it or leave it, it's really hard to even see it. It's just a part of who you are. I was lucky enough to be born outside of it. Um, you know, we were living on the East Coast when I was little, and then we kind of moved back into it. So I had the opportunity to kind of physically step into it. And granted, it felt very natural because a lot of the people looked like me and, and had families like mine, and it was very easy for me to engage. But also, as I started to travel more, like in high school, I went with teen missions to the Bahamas, and then I went back and worked at a camp and in very, very poor circumstances with people who didn't come from the same background as me, it allowed me to kind of see it from the outside a little bit and say, wait a minute, what about this? What about that? Do I really believe all that? Are all these constructs that were created to help me experience God really fitting and connecting with who I am and where I'm being led and drawn. And so for me today, um, you know, one of the practices that I have, and this is getting back to what Snez and Steve Marty have asked, and if this is not something that you're interested in, that's totally fine. You know, you don't have to, this is one you can take or leave. But for me, um, meditation has become even more powerful, kind of like Carlo Carletto says, to actually experience this power in the universe, whatever you call it. I happen to think of it as a, as a Judeo-Christian God. You may think of it differently. I think, I think this creative force that made everything we have, that, that when Moses met it in a burning bush, didn't even give Moses a name that could be written down or, or even, uh, even articulated. 
What's your name? My name is I am Yahweh. It's, it's not even any, any, any vowels and it. it's just all consonants. You know, and, and if, if you're Jewish, you know, you're raised with this idea that you, you don't even create images of God. There are no drawings. There are no uh, sculptures, unlike, you know, the, the later, um, you know, Christian churches. Because you, the, the human being has such a natural tendency to gravitate towards worshiping whatever is put in front of it. Um, you know, we, we will all worship something. Make sure that you're intentionally worshiping something that you actually believe in and is taking you a direction you want to go. So for, for me, it's not that I've left those ideas, but I've kind of expanded on those ideas um, to see a bigger view of what maybe that God is, particularly as I get a broader experience of, of God through different people and cultures and parts of the world. And so when I'm thinking today, you know, when, when I when I meditate, and we've got, by the way, we've got some great friends. Um, Lori Kahn has OM, O-M, meditation in Laguna Beach. Uh, uh, the priest who just, uh, is a good family friend of ours, Father Mac, uh, Father William McElmoyle, who, uh, who just presided over our 25th wedding anniversary in the Napa Valley, um, is not only a great Episcopalian priest, uh, and professing Christian, but he's also a dedicated Buddhist. And, the, you know, because Buddhism is primarily a practice. It's a philosophy. It's not really a, a formal religion, the way we think of religions in terms of worship. And one of the things that I was just talking about with him and with Lori at, at our 25th anniversary party was he said, you know, um, he said he started teaching, uh, started teaching meditation to students in school. And it's having profound effects on their behaviors and their work and their empathy for each other. Um, and so for me, you know, and I love the practice of meditation. I'm not the best at it. I'm trying to become, I guess, more enlightened. But, you know, it starts with just breathing in and breathing out and focusing on your breath, focusing on your breathing. Um, it's really helpful for free diving, which I love to do. Also, I'm not the world's greatest free diver, but I can, you know, I can hold my breath for, for two to three minutes. And, and a big part of holding your breath is not focusing on your body screaming at you that CO2 is building up, but on putting your mind in other places. Um, I like to say, you know, when I'm teaching friends to free dive, I like to say, as we're going down, when you start to feel like you're running out of air, just close your eyes. And all of a sudden, it feels like you got another lung full of air. It's really remarkable. You'll start to slow your heart rate down. You'll start to calm yourself. And even the free diving becomes meditative. I like to think today is as I'm breathing in and breathing out, as I'm focused on that breathing and, and losing myself, separating my mind from my body in a way where I can, be more, I can more objectively uh, look at what's happening to me and my body from a, you know, kind of a soulish standpoint, I guess the thing for me that it does is it, it forces me to, to step back and to reflect and to not focus on even a thought or an idea, but just to remind myself that, that everything that's happening around me isn't me. Those are, those are separate and, and I don't have to participate or react to everything that happens to me. I, I'm hoping to get better at this and be less reactive. I can be um, somewhat reactive at times. 
but it's been so helpful for me. Um, and I wanted to, what I wanted to do. So, um, Lori Khan is a great, uh, guide for people who want to meditate here in Laguna beach. Uh, father Mac up in the Napa Valley has been teaching, uh, meditation. He's now at the Calistoga Episcopalian church. He retired and they sucked him back in, but he's also teaching a lot of meditation. Um, and then, uh, I'd also like to, uh, our friend, um, Maritza, who, um, if you followed my Insta- my personal Instagram, you'll notice that I just uh, I just posted a picture of Maritza and her her partner, her wife, um, uh, when they were in in Iceland. They're just coming home now, uh, Maritza and Christine. And the uh, the thing that's super cool about that is, um, you know, uh, Maritza has been teaching. Uh, uh, meditation and interior work professionally and and has been getting really great results with a lot of people in fact um, I was just talking to her about starting to do some interior work with her and uh, and so we've got all these resources and all these people around us who um, who are doing this I'm just uh, seeing if I can get a uh, uh, Maritza, Maritza Rojas. I'm trying to figure out. Uh, you can find her. Her her her, her Instagram uh, site is Mary Monkey. M A R I, uh, like monkey, and then monkey. Um, and you'll see her tagged in my stuff. But you know, these are all friends of mine who are teaching meditation, teaching interior work, and it, sometimes it helps to have a coach when you're getting started. But I I cannot over over uh, emphasize how powerful it's been for me. Um, to kind of separate myself, to, to allow myself to move things out that I, and realize that I don't have to just accept everything I've inherited, but that I can start to then experience this creative force, this God itself directly, rather than have to always go through all these constructs and filters that, that, um, you know, maybe gave me awareness of this God, uh, earlier in life. And I wanted to read, um, from a couple little sections of David Lynch. He's a film director, David Lynch's book called catching the big fish meditation, consciousness, and creativity. It's a little book he wrote about how he makes movies and how he does it. And in an introduction, he said, ideas are like fish. If you want to catch little fish, you can stay in the shallow water. But if you want to catch the big fish, you've got to go deeper. Down deep, the fish are more powerful and more pure. They're huge and abstract, and they're beautiful. I looked for a a certain kind of fish that's important to me, one that can translate to cinema. He's made some great movies and TV shows. But there are all kinds of fish swimming down there. There are fish for business, fish for sports, and there are fish for everything. Everything, anything that is a thing comes up from the deepest level. Modern physics calls that level the unified field. The more your consciousness, your awareness is expanded, the deeper you go towards the source and the bigger the fish you can catch. My 33-year practice of the Transcendental Meditation Program has been central to my work in film and painting and to all areas of my life. For me, it has been the way to dive deeper in search of the big fish. In this book, I want to share some of those experiences with you. And then I'm just going to read through a couple little segments here because I think it's really helpful to explain meditation so it doesn't just seem like a new agey, wacky idea that doesn't really have any specific value. He says in the first dive, he says, uh, he quotes from the Bhagavad Gita, he says, he whose happiness is within, whose contentment is within, whose light is all within, that yogi being one with Brahman attains eternal freedom and divine consciousness. He says, when I first heard about meditation, I had zero interest in it. I wasn't even curious. It sounded like a waste of time. What got me interested, though, was the phrase, true happiness lies within. At first, I thought it sounded like kind of, 
you know, kind of mean because it doesn't tell you where within is or how to get there. But still it had this ring of truth. And I began to think that maybe meditation was a way to go within. I looked into meditation, asked some questions and started contemplating different forms. At that very moment, my sister called and said she'd been doing transcendental meditation for six months. There was something in her voice, a change, a quality of happiness, and I thought, that's what I want. So in July 1973, I went to the TM Center in Los Angeles and met an instructor, and I liked her. She looked like Doris Day, and she taught me these techniques. She gave me a mantra, which is a sound vibration thought. You don't meditate on the meaning of it, but it's very specific sound vibration thought. She, looked in, she took me into a little room to have my first meditation. I sat down, closed my eyes, started this mantra, and it was as if I were in an elevator and the cable had been cut. Boom. I fell into bliss, pure bliss, and I was just in there. And then the teacher said, it's time to come out. It's been 20 minutes. And I said, it's already been 20 minutes? And she said, shh, because other people were meditating. It seemed so familiar, but also so new and powerful that after that, I said the word unique should be reserved for this experience. It takes you to an ocean of pure consciousness, pure knowingness, but it's familiar. It's you. And right away, a sense of happiness emerges, not a goofball happiness, but a thick beauty. I have never missed a meditation in 33 years. I meditate once in the morning and again in the afternoon for about 20 minutes each time. Then I go about my business of the day and I find that the joy of doing increases. Intuition increases. The pleasure of life grows and negativity recedes. I'm not going to, don't worry, I'm not going to read David Lynch's entire book to you, but I just want to leave this last bit on um, what he talks about, consciousness-based education. He says, one of the main things that got me talking publicly about transcendental meditation was the seeing the difference it made to kids. Kids are suffering. Stress is now biting into them at a younger and younger age, at just about the time they get out of the crib. And there are all these different learning disorders that I never even heard about before. At the same time, I saw the results of consciousness-based education, which is education that develops the full potential of the human being. Sound familiar? (laughs) It's the same education everyone receives with the added bonus that the student learns to dive within and unfold that self, that pure consciousness. There's a school principal, Dr. George Rutherford in Washington, D.C., who has introduced transcendental meditation into three schools. Before that, the schools were filled with violence. There were shooting, suicides, and, and violence. But he got the staff meditating, got the teachers meditating, got the students meditating, and watch it all turn around. There's another principal, Carmen uh, Namandi in Detroit, who introduced Transcendental Meditation in her school. Nataki Talaba about nine years ago. The kids meditate 10 minutes in the morning together, 10 minutes in the afternoon, and the school is a blissful school. These kids are happier, getting better grades, and going out and experiencing all kinds of success. It's something that works. You take in more intellectual knowledge during school because it's so much fun, but you're also expanding the container of that knowledge. You contrast that with the normal education. You contrast that with what what normal education produces. It's a joke. It's facts and figures, but the lower self does not know him or herself. One night I saw a play at Maharishi School in Iowa, a school that has consciousness-based education. It was a cold and rainy night, and when I, was, when I was told I was going to see a high school play, I thought, man, this is going to be a long night. I was sitting in the middle of this little theater, a beautiful little theater, and out on stage came the students. They weren't professional actors. They were just kids putting on a play. But I was never more blown away. I thought it was better than a Broadway production because what I saw was consciousness on these faces. A lively, glowing consciousness. They had such intelligence and timing and their humor was right on the money. You don't worry about students like that. They're self-sufficient. They're going to do just fine in the world and, we're, and they're going to make the world better by, by being in it. And he talks about his foundation, um, 
the David Lynch Foundation for Consciousness-Based Education World Peace was set up to help more kids get that kind of experience. We've raised money and given it to schools all over the country. It's amazing to see the kids who do this. Stress just doesn't catch them. It's like water off a duck's back. Um, but he said, I don't want, want this to be only for students' sake, for their own growth or consciousness, but for all of us, because we're like light bulbs. And like light bulbs, we can enjoy that brighter light of consciousness within and also radiate it. I believe the key to peace is in this. If there were 10,000 new meditating students, it would affect this country. It would be like a wave of peace. It's harmony, coherence, real peace. In the individual, that light of consciousness drives negativity further and further away. In the world, it can do the same thing. So, interior work. This is what I think matters. I think you can express that a lot of different ways. I'm looking forward to talking with Steve Marty about how he does it. I think when you're coming out of addiction, when your brain has been giving you bad information for a long time, you probably don't need to be exploring the gray areas of life. You probably need something that's a little bit fundamentalist, that's a lot of black and white, and that has kind of an, a binary feel to it. <laughs> yes, no, don't listen to your brain, do this. You probably need some instruction. And I think that's what we're going to hear from Steve, and I'm looking forward to it. I think it is one way to approach interior work, and I think it's one way that's working for him very, very well. And I, I can't wait to hear more about it. This is the Kick Aspirational Podcast. It's an interactive project. I would love to get your messages, your emails, your notes, um, your thoughts. You can get me at, uh, you know, the best way right now is actually uh, via Instagram direct message, David58. Uh, that, that is my Instagram handle, daved 58 Or you can get me on Facebook via Messenger. You can send me an email at uh, david at kickaspirational.com. I'm just trying to figure out how to access <laughs> that email um, now that I'm back home. So uh, if you don't see a response from me there right away and you're, you're hoping for a more urgent answer, hit me on DM on Instagram or on Facebook, on Facebook Messenger. So anyways, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. And uh, don't forget to go deep inside yourself to help your journey and to help break through barriers. Thanks. Be kick aspirational.